Welcome back to Little Wars FM, the premium companion podcast to our YouTube channel, where we play historical war games of history's most famous battles. Typically on this podcast, we review rules and interview game designers and hobby luminaries we find interesting. But over the course of the next several episodes, we're bringing you something special. This is part one of a multi-part series focusing on developing and writing war game rules. Tom and Greg are working on a homebrew system for us to play the largest battle of the American Revolution, the Battle of Brandywine. And they decided, in a spur-of-the-moment flash of inspiration, to record all of their conversations in real time. So what you're about to hear over the course of several podcasts is two veteran wargamers and game designers have a real conversation about the development of a new game. I don't want to spoil the ending of the series, but I think it's really cool to get a live glimpse at how homebrew rules start, why they start, and where they go over time. Because it shouldn't surprise you to learn that Tom and Greg's AWI homebrew game eventually takes on a life of its own. And now you're going to see that entire life cycle unfold from start to finish. For anyone interested in rules or the art of game design, the next several episodes of Little Wars FM will be something special. I think you're going to love it. Normally, we keep most of our episodes as premium content for our Patreon supporters, but this multi-part series is so awesome that we just had to make it publicly available. So sit back, relax, and enjoy part one of How to Write Homebrew Wargaming Rules. It is the end of May 2021. I am joined by Tom, and uh, this is our first session of I don't know how many sessions since as we're as many as it takes. Whatever it takes, <laughs> we're doing this. We're doing this in real time, and you are going to be joining us on a little adventure as we uh, try to explore a, a homebrew option. And the reason, Tom, that you know we're talking about a homebrew for this particular game is, I think. For the same reason, every homebrew rule starts, right? I mean, it's because you have a problem. You have a particular problem or game you're trying to run, and you can't find the appropriate set of rules to get exactly what you need to solve the problem. So um, why don't I turn it over to you, and maybe you articulate what we think our problem is. Yeah, so the the, the problem is how do you pull off uh, the Battle of Brandywine? Um for players who, at least half the players, if you saw our Gettysburg episode with the American Battlefield Trust, half the players uh, had never played the rules before or had a lot of experience with war game rules to begin with. And so we're going to do the same or similar with uh, the Battle of Brandywine. Uh, and, you know, we need to have a set of rules that is appropriate for the scale of battle, the period, um, and yet really fit on a page or two so that ideally back in front, uh, so that these players with some assistance, we had assistance at uh, aide-de-camps at Gettysburg, we'll do the same, I'm sure, but still, you've got to make it simple and still capture everything we want to about the battle. Yeah, and I think that that necessity to incorporate the historians from the trust, a couple of whom have never played a war game in their lives, rules out a lot of the usual options. I mean, mm -hmm. we don't we don't actually game a lot of 
AWI in our club, but we have before. And all of the usual candidates that we've played or talked about honestly just seem a little too complex for people who've never played a war game before. And I mean, Brandywine's the biggest battle of the revolution. Mm-hmm. So this is a huge battle fought over a huge area. We're going to have a ton of miniatures on the table. And, you know, one, one of the several options we looked at that I was kind of leaning toward personally was the AWI variant of Fire and Fury. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the guys in our club are really familiar with Fire and Fury. I think it's a great rule system. And I have played the AWI kind of version of it. But Again, the guys in our club <laughs> are familiar with it, and right. we are veteran, experienced players. Right. Well, I've, I actually, that's interesting. I've played Fire and Fury, uh, you know, American Civil War. I've never played the AWI variant. But uh, just from the get-go, that would not be one, I would think, novice players. Uh, and, and given the time constraints, obviously, you know, we need to get through uh, an appropriate number of turns uh, to have some sort of resolution. So I think it comes down to almost, you know, if you back up as we think about these things, um, we kind of know how many turns do you think we'll get through? Uh, (laughs) Boy, that's a good question. Um, I would say at a battle of this scale, we'll probably be lucky to do two turns an hour, Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. given the number of players and the number of figures. So uh, I don't know if we play for four hours, usually new people are kind of burning out after four hours. That's when attention spans are running thin. So eight turns, eight to 10, maybe would be my guess. What do you think? I think, yeah, if I had uh, nothing about anything other, it's just, if you looked at every game we play either on Monday nights or right. for these episodes, if you get 10 turns, uh, it's because you have a unique rule set, you know, that just does that. So that's where I, you know, when I look at these situations, particularly doing episodes and for, you know, this situation with the trust, um, it's like, okay, we're going to get eight, maybe 10 turns. And so using that as kind of the, how do we fit a reasonable evolution of the battle into that says, look, you can't spend a lot of time, um, you know, combat and firing with you know, as many figures as we're going to have, um, just has to, or as many units, uh, has to go quickly. I mean, cause I'd love to get that. I think honestly, given the scale of the battle and the amount of, uh, area we have to cover, uh, we should be trying to get it, you know, uh, to three turns an hour. I oh mean, yes. That'd be, that'd be, so right there that rules out, you know, I'd say fire and fury, um, it rules out a lot of things. It, it rules out, honestly, anything we've looked at, uh, British Grenadier, mm-hmm. um, which, uh, or it rules out it in totality. It obviously has, and that's our point here. It has to be adjusted. And just from that starting point, how do you get something that you can get through that many turns uh, just kind of as a, you know, a, a guardrail? My first thought. Right. Yeah. And, and I, that's, well, I think that's a pretty good summation of why we are where we are, which right. is that we're looking for a one to two page game, have not found one. And so that brings us to the topic of homebrew. Uh, of course, the other option would be to completely start from scratch. You know, we're, we're writing a brand new rule system. And maybe that's a subject for a different podcast because you right. know, I, I have been involved in that myself. Other members of the club have. But 
it's worth pointing out as I let off the podcast that it is currently late May and we are playing this game in less than two months. So I don't think in less than two months that you and I, uh, even though we are incredibly talented and both ruggedly handsome, are going to be able to write and design a rule set from scratch. Well, we have some other projects going on as well, so I, I don't think a we few. can fit it in. But uh, it, it's funny because uh, throughout this project, so we I think we started ordering uh, miniatures what, probably last November. Yeah, uh, it was last like year. That. And and it was doing it, I think, every time it kept coming. Well, what rules are we using for this? <laughs> we'll and, figure it out. We'll figure it we'll, out. <laughs> we'll figure it out. What you do need to know, we did need to know. So what, what's the basing going to be? I mean, we kind of, those types of things, because you can scan through most rules for this period. And, you know, you, you know, roughly the bases are going to have four, you know, figures, maybe six. I think we ended up with four. Um, but so that we knew enough just from looking at most rules are going to, work that way but so we we're at least prepared but um yeah uh, we obviously are short on time so um you know i don't know it, it's kind of to me i was making a list uh, in prep for this um thinking about what do i really want to have given the constraint of the time and the players and stuff like what what do you have to have in an american independence or you know uh rule set to to truly not be generic right to, and, uh, you know, the first thing that seems to come up, um, you know, in these sets or, I mean, there's troop gradings, right? And I think all we, you know, Loose Files has that general, general, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, British Grenadier has it. Um, I believe most I've looked at have some sort of grading right there. You have to differentiate between uh, Grenadier British Grenadier units, uh, Highlanders, and and all the way down to you know militia in South Carolina. For for, for us, I think the militia. I think we have a, a narrower band at Brandywine, as far as you know, the level of militia um, wouldn't reach probably what would show up as the lowest band in the in most rules that I've seen. But that that's a first thought. What do you think of? I mean, how many gradings? Just again, I, for simplicity, I mean, what, what's, you know, what do you Well, that's up? a great place to start because, I mean, if you compare this war to like, you know, the American Civil War, you know, look, in the American Civil War, all the units are pretty much, they all have very similar levels of training and experience. Right. But you're right, in this war, <laughs> you have dramatically different levels of training and experience. I mean, everybody has the same army doctrine. It's not like the Napoleonic Wars where we're dealing with completely different tactical and strategic doctrines. But there is a huge gulf between, you know, Cadillotters militia <laughs> and right. some of the British <laughs> Grenadier Guards that are showing up at this battle. There are some right. very elite British light infantry and Grenadier formations here. So I, I agree. If we're talking about a homebrew, then we need to be looking at a set that has several different class levels. You know, I, I would think off the top of my head, minimum four, mm -hmm. um, minimum four grades. Um, that, that is a key feature. I agree that we've got to look for another key feature that, that I would be looking for in a set of rules as we're hunting for where to begin with AWI would be to reflect the unusual nature of this war. There are very few casualties in the, mm -hmm. uh, revolutionary war. It always amazes me 
You know, you, you're reading accounts of these battles where it's like, oh, there was a ferocious firefight that lasted for hours. Three men were killed. And you're like, well, how the <laughs> heck did that happen? What was happening over the course of three hours and three guys were killed? Uh, it's it's so. But when you read in detail to find out what actually happens, what you discover is that there's actually a lot of movement. Mm -hmm. Most of the battle is what I would call this, like, it's this choreographed, chaotic ballet or dance where there a, a line approaches another line. They engage in a couple of volleys, horribly inaccurate because it's smooth bores. Right. And then right. and then one of the two just sort of like runs away 100 yards to the next <laughs> to the next fence or the next tree line or wall. And then the two lines meet again and they exchange which, another which volley one away. Which one runs away? <laughs> well, <laughs> usually it's us, Tom. <laughs> usually that's, it's, that's it's the Americans. Redeployment. That's what, a, that's yeah. <laughs> tactical yeah. redeployment. We're, yeah. we're trading space for time, man. This is, what, this is our continent. Uh, but that to me is a really unique feature of this war. The fact that there are very few casualties, firefights are frequent, but indecisive, but there is a ton of movement. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of lines getting shifted back and forth. So what that means, I think, is that we're looking for a system where morale is very important. Morale is probably more important than your, you know, your shooting ability, because really everybody has the same shooting ability in this war. Right. Terrible. Um, and it, there needs to be a lot of uh, risk of failing morale, falling back, regrouping, and then kind of coming up again to re-engage the enemy. So there's a lot of elasticity there, and uh, that's unusual. That's that's not like the Civil War. It's not like the Napoleonic Wars. Mm -hmm. What else? Uh, what else is on your sort of list here of features that you would be imagining in a short but historically flavorful system? Yeah. Well, you certainly hit on that. Um, uh, the morale part of that. Uh, you know where I. I I'm always interested in the, just in command and control. You know, I, I like different models of that. My, my preferred model is typically some in, in this period or Napoleonics is some sort of, you know, brigade orders, you know, or some sort of order system um, that uh, kind of tells a unit what they are doing, right? Are you attacking? Are you, you know, holding, you know, kind of a, a limited set. Um, and so I would be looking for, um, you know, maybe something that gave a little bit of that flavor, uh, certainly not written orders, you know, maybe it's a, just a designation or something. But I do think, um, you know, when you think about the command structure, uh, you know, and the brigadiers and, and thinking of the brigade structure, uh, that to me, I, I just like to capture that because there were clearly... Uh, you know, specific orders given to brigadiers um, throughout, and those orders changed. And, you know, it, it pretty much told them what they were going to be doing for that period until they got their next order. You're going to hold here at the Ford. You're going to redeploy, you know, to Birmingham Hill or whatever it is. So I would I would be looking for some light version of orders so that people mm -hmm. understand. Particularly, I think one of the challenges with uh, novice players is, uh, understanding that they can't do, and it actually may help them uh, to give them less choices. You can't do whatever you want, right? You don't just. I want to go over here. Well, I understand there's an order thing, but I, I think so. That would be the, that would be the third one I would think of. Okay, yeah, that's a good one. Um, the last one that is coming to mind for me 
would be to have some way to represent the fact that there are heroic moments in mm. these battles of leaders truly inserting themselves I mean, in like really heroic ways. So at, at Brandywine, uh, Lafayette, great example. Right. You know, he's right. he is shot trying to rally American forces as they're desperately, you know, clinging on in the, the very kind of waning hours of the battle. Um, now, not at this battle, but uh, at another battle uh, the year before, uh, Washington at, at Princeton, you know, sure. famously as the militia are crumbling. I mean, he rides out between the lines in a hail of gunfire. Honestly, he should have been killed uh, in, with rifle weapons. He would have been killed. Um, and he directly inserts himself into that battle. So that's a feature that you see uh, in this period, this mm -hmm. romantic heroicism. And I'd like to for that in the game somehow uh with whatever rules we end up getting you know the ability of a leader to say you know what i'm i'm gonna be a hero <laughs> and maybe right. i'll get shot and killed for it but um that no. that's an important feature for me yeah i i, I think that's great and and as soon as you said lafayette because i i when i'd been musing on this i was thinking in terms of the things you hope to see during a game you know you can't predict what will happen or if it'll but you're like you hope you see some something like that um or so that would be great to find a way to and that's tough honestly i mean often rules have ways for leaders to lead but um you know good players obviously take advantage of them and know hey i can change the odds and where's my leader at and use it but it just as often it can get lost when people get tired and people you know so I think to clearly designate, you know, those, you know, and it'd be great really for each player to have um, one, you know, leader that, hey, pay attention to this guy, right? This is the, this is the guy who can make things happen. And so they can focus on maybe that, and that you might get a better result than having each leader having some way of, you know, but here's the heroic guy. So, but I absolutely got to capture that. Yeah, that's that's before we get off that topic. Um, since we're just riffing on it, that reminds me that you know one of the things that I don't like about Fire and Fury, which is a system that we mentioned earlier, is that to me, Fire and Fury is a game with a ton of what I'll call leader clutter. There are tons of leaders represented in the game, and they all offer you like a, a plus one if you attack them. And I mean, you're looking out over your army and you've got like a dozen leaders out there. And so, of course, everyone's just, you know, busily attaching their little plus ones everywhere. And it's just when I say I'm looking for the leaders to be able to get involved, I don't mean that. Right. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not looking for clutter. I'm looking for what you mentioned, which is just a couple of opportunities for like a big moment. So it's yeah. got to be something meatier than I get a, a plus one on my D10. That just isn't dramatic enough <laughs> for what I'm thinking of here. <laughs> Totally agree. Um, so that's, I think that's, you know, unless you have something else in mind, that's a pretty good summary of the wish list, I think, of just some basics. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll just add one more because I'm looking at it on the screen here. And we talked about it earlier, but uh, as one of the thing is movement. So, hmm. you know, everybody makes a, obviously the terrain of uh, North America, you know, historically, if not mythically, sometimes is figured into how, People think people fought in this period. And so I, as I've looked at a couple of rule systems, one, I think, I think for simplicity, you know, we really have to go with a fixed, you know, distance for the players. So, you know, whatever it is. So I see a couple of the, where we're using uh, in loose files, you use a, an average dice. Um, 
and to give some randomness to the movement. Uh, that's true of uh, uh, British Grenadier as well. Um, and honestly, that's just like, I mean, it's an it's an issue I have with most schools. I, I don't really enjoy rolling for movement. And it's not because I don't get that it isn't somewhat random sometimes. It's just I don't need those extra rolls every turn, um, you know, and, and for the benefits of it, it's like, oh, I couldn't do this. I couldn't cross the road. I couldn't get it. It's like, OK, I, I get it. I mean, there are other ways to to impact that, particularly because most of these rule sets have these disruption points, mm -hmm. which are designed to make you accumulate friction, which you can through going through woods and stuff. So I don't know what you think about the movement, but uh, that, that would be another issue. I'm, I'm with you. I love the idea of random variable movement because it does seem, especially in this war, it seems so appropriate. Right. But but to your point, it's just not practical for what we're talking about here. I mean, we're going to have a ton of regiments out on the table, and there it's going to be way too slow if everybody's got to roll dice every time they want to move. So I agree. We've got to be looking at fixed movement. And frankly, just to add to that, probably fairly generous movement rates because you had, you had asked earlier, how many turns do you think we're going to get through? And it's like, well, I don't know, 8 to 10? Well, okay, if we think realistically we might only get through 10 turns of this thing, then the movement rates on a table of this size are going to have to be maybe a little more generous than normal just to get it going, just to right. keep it moving. Right. Um, so if that's what's on the wish list, then I think the next logical place for us to go in this discussion is <laughs> what are some of the realistic options for what we could homebrew? So as we said earlier, we're not writing a rule system from scratch here. So the way that most homebrew experiments happen and the way that we're doing this one is that players in clubs all over the world, you know, they're playing a game that they really like and they say, oh, well, if I could just tweak this one thing or if I could add this house rule. And you and I right now are talking about maybe tweaking and adding quite a few house rules, but you got to start with a, a game mm -hmm. that you think is pretty workable. And I know before we started recording this podcast, we'd been messaging back and forth about, you know, a, a couple of options, a couple of games that could serve as the the chassis for this. And one that I'm going to mention to start that I really was hoping we could use, but I just don't think it's possible, is Osprey's Rebels and Patriots. Mm -hmm. uh, that one came out, I don't know, maybe a year or two ago. And I was really hopeful that that could be a good mechanism for us because, you know, the Osprey games, those are a little more beer and pretzels. Right. Uh, it's one of the blue book games. So it's one of their 64 page games. You can usually play it from a page or two of quick reference. But the problem when I started looking at Rebels and Patriots is that it's it's written for a skirmish game. And the number of changes that we would have to make in order to go from the skirmish level to a huge army level action just kind of felt like a bridge too far. I mean, it's really not at all what Rebels and Patriots is designed to do. So yeah. it it felt like more of a stretch than wh where we should go. Yes, I had. Uh, I think last year when we were kept asking what rules we were using, uh, I had looked at that as well and just thought, yeah, it, it just doesn't. I mean, you just have to. I mean, you just have to make huge leaps, and it's very generic and. So, you know, Osprey has another one, Land of the Free, uh, which I had looked at. And that's probably a little bit closer 
but um, honestly, I, I again, you know, the units are they're called elements, and um, it's kind of you know, I get it, it's generic, and you can size them to fit. But honestly, I mean, I I don't think. I mean, it just seems like the wrong starting point when, you know, we kind of know clearly, I think most of the rules that I'm gravitating towards, you know, it's already, you understand you're representing, um, you know, battal companies, battalions, and brigades. Um, and so that, that, that was the other one I looked at, but, um, yeah, I, I think I, I lean towards probably the more detailed ones and pulling out details or simplifying mechanics than, trying to take a generic set and, you know, add in the crunchiness. Well, the way that I kind of backed into my leading contender, um, which we've already mentioned here a couple of times, is uh, my, so far in the club, my favorite AWI game that we've played has been British Grenadier. Mm -hmm. uh, we've played that a couple of times in 28 millimeter scale with your uh, fife and drum miniatures. And I just thought it was full of period flavor, really captured the war, the feeling of the war well. But the problem, of course, is that, you know, it's a hundred page rule set. And that is not at all what we're looking for here. We're looking for a two page rule set. So mm -hmm. it's a lot of streamlining to cut British Grenadier all the way down to kind of the bare bones. But interestingly, uh, early on in British Grenadier, it is noted that that game is based on another game that was in the, I believe, the first ever issue of War Games Illustrated. I the think first. it's issue number, I think it's issue number one. Someone will probably correct me. It was all the way back in 1987. Okay. Uh, and that is available online for free, and it is called, you've already mentioned it, Loose Files, an American Scramble. And uh, that is what British Grenadier was based on. But Loose Files, an American Scramble is not 100 pages, it's three pages. Mm -hmm. So suddenly we're getting, <laughs> if we're looking for a starting point, I think a three page rule set that is, you know, provided the inspiration for one of my favorite systems. That is probably where I am inclined to start. I would agree with you. Uh, I just think, you know, I'm looking at it here on the screen as, and it's really like, it's almost, you take that three page framework and you go section by section, you know, where they have, you know, movement and, uh, combat and so forth. And just, you know, we basically will uh, see if it works. Uh, you know, I think the the disruption points, we both like those. Um, and so that looks pretty good. But, you know, for example, the movement. And so I think it's a bit of how do you take that section out and lay something in that, you know, where we talk about fixed movement and maybe accelerated movement. And, and then the test is always, as you know, we both know we've done this enough, is make sure it doesn't throw off you know, anything else. It usually is going to have, you then have to look at the shooting ranges and so forth and see if that makes sense. But back to your point, I agree. I think this is, uh, this is a good place to start. Um, and uh, like I said, I could probably see incorporating uh, the command uh, aspect of British Grenadier. I think that's light, we could make that lightweight enough to replace. I don't know how you felt about the uh, the command points here, um, but that it it just struck me as again I like the I like the idea of orders, but uh, yeah. I was actually, to be honest, a little confused by the way the command points work in this three-page rule set. Uh, yeah. 
yeah, I'm sorry. I don't want to sound like an idiot for a three. Re, it's it's one paragraph, right? It's one paragraph, and I've read it like three times, and I can't figure it out because, like, for example, so like each of the leaders in here gets um, command points, right? Mm -hmm. And then it gives you this little menu of things you can spend them on. Totally, that's cool. I'm totally fine with that. One of them, which seems like a really damn important one, is it costs two command points to issue an order. Right. A unit takes one full turn to react to an order. Okay, so there's a built-in reaction time. Nowhere in the three pages does it tell you what an order is. Is that uh, is does that mean like just to move at all? Is, or what about like changing formation? Like is that an order? Well, that's a good point. I did not. Uh, I I could not find that either. I looked at it and I saw the menu. I actually thought that was very expensive. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because you don't get do that many command points. <laughs> And and I also thought, okay, you know, so you got every commander tracking their command points. Uh, they actually had a little table showing how to do it. And I'm just mm -hmm. like, you know, that's just, you're spending way too much time. And here's what happens, especially when, you know, people can't really get the feel for whatever the mechanic is. Uh, it just kind of gets garbled, you know, like how many points do I have? I don't know. I just want to do this. Well, go ahead and do it. I mean, it's like, and, yep. and inevitably, when, you know, if you can't help people make decisions, they either take more longer or, you know, it's it's not worth it anyway. So I don't know if it's worth salvaging. I mean, maybe we can reread. But uh, that one to me, you know, in 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 British Grenadier. Uh, you've got uh, you've got the ability to issue orders um, and then the orders are, as I listed before, assault, engage support move hold you know and we don't need maybe six of them but uh it's really about are you are you able to go forward are you holding or you know but uh that would be one area um certainly to think about adjusting there but i think that's the process right it's let's how do we keep it this number of pages don't allow yourself any more room and make it work within that space and honestly we say there's three pages here Nobody, none of our players is probably going to read these three, right? So we've got to turn, we've got to, it's basically fit it all in three pages for you and I, and then turn it into a QRS for the players the day of. Absolutely. And and looking at the three pages that are here right now, I was thinking about that before we got on our call, like, well, you know, how long of a quick reference sheet would this be? And the game as written is a one one side of one page. Yeah, <laughs> you, you could fit the quick reference stuff on here. So I think that 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 should probably be the goal for us as well. Uh, because we've got new players, I would love to be able to hand each one of them a piece of paper, and on the front side is everything they need to play the game. And then if they flip their piece of paper over, on the back side, like all their units are printed. So every they've got their command on one side, they've got the rules that they need to know on the other side. And like you said, if if you and I are carrying around a three page document stapled together to answer questions, that's, you know, that's reasonable. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Not going to need an index for a three page game. So <laughs> we've been talking for half an hour. I guess uh, maybe that's good for our first little foray into our homebrew series and mm -hmm. you know like i said i don't i don't know how many of these podcast episodes we're going to have but i think that a good place for us to go next would be either we get back together and kind of go through loose files and american scrambles section by section and talk about what's the stuff we want to keep what's the stuff we want to modify or as you mentioned with command maybe just 
replace altogether. Mm-hmm. So that would be that would be one discussion to have. The other discussion I think we need to have would be maybe to talk to one or two people who are even more knowledgeable about this period than you and I are. I I don't I don't recall where you stand on the AWI. I, I know you have a lot more miniatures for it than I do, but I am not an expert at all in this period. There are some wars that I consider myself pretty knowledgeable about, and my knowledge here is good, but not right. yeah. not hugely deep. So I wouldn't mind maybe reaching out to another war gamer or two outside of our club that really specializes in this period to kind of pick their brain a little bit on, hey, what do they think the most important hallmarks of the war are what ideas do they right. have uh, right. i think that would be a good that'd be a good stop on the road to producing something i agree i think that'd be uh that'd be a lot of fun actually to talk to folks who maybe have focused on this or even the battle itself uh and right. uh so yeah i look forward to uh you know seeing what other people have done or what they would do in this situation yeah Great. Well, why don't we uh, why don't we each retire to our our dungeons and t- take a <laughs> take a deeper look at this three page game, and we'll we'll make some written notes for the next discussion that we have, <laughs> and uh, we can we can compare our written notes and and really start kind of uh, rebuilding this thing from the ground up. Yeah. No. It's uh. It's it's fun. It's uh. This should be uh, a, a fun exercise, uh, and I look forward to uh, seeing where we go next with it. Great. Sounds good. Well, we will uh, we'll talk soon. All right. So there you have it, folks. That's part one of our multi-part series on designing your own homebrew rules. Tom and Greg have started the long march on the road to modernizing and updating a magazine article from over 30 years ago. And... That should be the end of our podcast episode today, except, well, it isn't. Surprise, because after they wrapped up their first conversation, Tom and Greg just couldn't help themselves from peeking ahead into the rules and talking about sections of loose files in American Scramble that they really like versus the sections they think are ripe for improvement. And luckily for us, instead of ending their recording, they left it running. So... Let's jump back into this discussion for what I might call part one and a half. All right. I think that was pretty good. Yeah. No, that was, I think that'll work out well. A couple of the sections I have definite thoughts on. Mm -hmm. um, And then I'll I'll read it a little bit more. I mean, the combat, obviously, it's again, one of those, um, you know, comparisons, you know, win by four, win by two to three, which are fine, but there's one, two, three, four, five, six different outcomes. Um, so that, that probably needs to be. I, I agree. So here's a thought I had on the combat and maybe we would need to experiment with this because maybe my, maybe I'm off base, but I'm looking at all the math that people are going to have to do, right? Plus three modifiers, plus two modifiers, plus ones, minus Mm -hmm. all the same. And you know how these things go, because this happens in Fire and Fury a lot, right? Like, you know, somebody's halfway through their list, and then they lose track of where they are in the math. And then it's like, oh, damn it, you know, oh, you know, someone said something to them, and they interrupted them. And then they're going all back down to, like, all the modify. And each side, of course, has to do that in every right. single combat. So one thought here would be, 
what if what if we kept you know kept a lot of these but instead of you having to do math you just you just added dice to your pool right that way you're just counting the dice out right yeah. you're not going to lose track of that you just like oh okay here's how many dice i add into my hand and then you know we just create a number whatever it is you know four better is a hit fine and then we compare okay how many hits did you get oh he got six hits i got two hits the difference is yeah that's is that, that yeah i love that and cuz i mean that that whole role you know a four is a hit uh you know that's that's a great system particularly for I like it any any time really, but uh, for novices, that's a that's a good one. Yeah, and and maybe we could incorporate that into other things here. You know, where maybe we can make that something that's universal. I don't know, like X X or better is always a success. But mm -hmm. for combat in particular, I just I feel like it might be faster. Oh well, look, just the whole Bruce thing. You know, the other day. I mean, especially as you get longer in the day. Yeah. everybody's getting tired and you're like it's plus two plus three plus uh, and it's like oh and i'm like <laughs> i know just roll the dice and see what they look like <laughs> right right but it, it is so much easier to keep track of that when you're literally just adding dice into Absolutely. your hand because then if somebody interrupts you it's fine like oh okay well i got a pile of dice in my hand this is the dice i get mm -hmm. so i i don't know if i'm off base on that or not but it seemed like an area where we could keep the essence you know keep yeah. keep the results chart totally fine keep most of the modifiers because frankly most of them look like their reason of, you know would be needed um but you you would not need so for example what he has one two three four different modifiers for being outnumbered um you wouldn't need those anymore because you just put a die in your hand for every base that you have that's a, that's a good one and and honestly i mean again i think players who don't get to play a lot i mean they 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 like the tangible rolling dice i mean yeah you know, I got 10 dice to roll versus I roll one. I mean, it feels better, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. <laughs> I, I agree. It does. <laughs> another thought I just thought of when I, I went off on the order section, and obviously I had some thoughts there. But the other thought I had before all this was I was wondering if you saw any way to use the bidding process um, mechanic in this. Um, you know, it have the benefit of one. It is it is it is simple you know, once you know what you're doing. Also, if we have similar players, they've played Gettysburg before and they know what it is. But I don't know if you'd thought of that. Hadn't thought of that. Um, I'm sure there is a way to bake it in. The question is whether or not we want to. Yeah. Um, you know, it. I, that does, you know, it does take time uh, because all the players want to gather up next to each other. I mean, you've played Alter Freedoms, you know, all they, everybody yeah. wants to huddle up and, oh, I'm going to bid this and you're going to bid yeah, that. That I love the system. I mean, I, obviously, I, I made it, so of course I love it. But uh, No, you're right. Actually, the other thing I thought of is I do think the what's missing from there is the what the what the brigade is actually on, right? Mm -hmm. Like that you're on engage or assault or defend or hold. And and I do thanks to that for it. I just wanted to throw it out there because I didn't I, I kind of went off quickly on the direction I like on that. Um, what do you think about the orders as far as that, the assault engage, I can send you, I'm a huge fan of order systems. It's just, they're rarely done well. Yeah. You know, they usually devolve into either the honor system or they devolve into like, well, you kind of just do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, well, let's take a look. I'll, uh, I'll abstract this or I'll bring in the book on Monday, uh, or tomorrow. And, um, 
Yeah, and and as far as when orders go into effect, you know, I, I think given the number of turns we've got, and also people forget, anytime you have to wait a turn for something, it's like nah. forget it. Yeah, so it's a nice idea. Yeah, um, right. But, but it, we we have we don't have time for that. I think a I think a better way to do it actually that would just save a ton of time is if you if we keep some notion of command points, and I don't know whether we're going to or not. But you, you could kind of keep that structure, you know, whatever. Washington has 10 points a turn. Mm -hmm. um, you could just make changing some of the orders more expensive. Right. So, yeah, you know what? If you want to maneuver, if you want to change from some order, and either assault or halt, if you want to change to maneuver, it costs one. But if you want to change anybody to an assault order, you know, yeah. it costs three. That way, okay, yeah, it's true that you're not going to have a delay in your turn, but by making it more expensive to do certain things, that's going to ensure that there kind of is a delay because you won't be able to coordinate everybody at once. I mean, you'll have a limited pool of points, and we'll just make sure the points are structured so that you can't convert everybody to an assault order on the same turn. Right, right. No, that's a good point. That's that's actually one of the things I liked about uh, General D'Armey, particularly, you know, it really shows up like at Austerlitz, our last one, is once you figure out how important the the assault is for those, mm -hmm. you know, getting this getting it done there, you're like, I've got to husband those and hopefully I get a turn where I got three of them and, another, you know, but yeah. Yep. I like that concept. Yep. Okay. I do. Uh, okay. Yeah. I mean, the other stuff all honestly seem pretty self-explanatory to me. The, the training levels, maybe we go from five to four, but I think that all made sense. The disruption points we already talked about. I really like the concept of the disruption points. Um, my, my only question on the disruption points is, is five too many? Like, does it become too much table clutter to have That's, all these markers yeah. out? I mean, I, ah, I don't know. Could people do it on a roster instead of having table clutter out? Could they just mark off the disruptions with like a dry erase marker? Is that, does that become too much to track? Well, the other thing is, so, so having five is, I think is a problem, but I have those and we wouldn't use these, but if we could find something similar, I have those little blood tokens from one of my game mm -hmm. sets. And the beauty of those is they have their numbered. So you That's can right. have one that has a five on it, or you can just have one that has a one. And so you right. at least know they are disrupted, but you don't have, because the clutter becomes, I agree. I'd like to avoid that. So. Uh, that's a really good solution though. I mean, we could, I mean, if, if we can't find enough of your tokens, I mean, we could just, you know, whatever we can make some, we can just buy some little wooden discs and take a Sharpie and write numbers on them. Well, what do you think? I mean, I, my issue is more they they look like drops of blood. Does that bother you? No. Okay, because I'll just uh -huh. order I'll order another set uh, to go with mine, um, and then we, we we're done. And that way, they actually look good. I mean, they they blend into the table. And okay, well, this is the most productive thing I've done all day. Actually, I'm joking. <laughs> all, right. Cool. all right, so you're playing War Room tomorrow, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. looking forward to it. It'll be my third uh, third time at the war room. So yeah, I just hope I don't get the British because they got too much stuff to do. That's for sure. All right, cool. All right, I will uh, see you tomorrow morning then. All right, Greg. Have a good night. Yep. Same to you. See ya.